0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Take advantage of the advanced video capabilities offered by Bosch to help reduce your shrink risk. Integrate video recordings with point-of-sale data for visual verification of transactions and exception reporting. Use video analytics for immediate notification of important AP-related events and leverage analytics metadata for fast forensic searches for evidence and to improve merchandising and operations. Learn more about extending your video system beyond simple surveillance in Zones 1-4 through of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch Online at BoschSecurity.com.
1: Welcome everybody to another episode of Crime Science Podcast. Today, our latest in their weekly update series. And I'm joined as uh, usual by our co-host, Tony D'Anofrio and Tom Meehan, our producer, Diego Rodriguez. And uh, we're going to talk just a little bit about what's going on around the world uh, that affects particularly retailing um, and those that are assigned to boost and protect it. And so um talking a little bit about, as per normal, The last year and a half. We'll talk about the the global pandemic a little bit and the idea that the uh, Delta virus, uh, excuse me, variant of the virus that came out of uh, or first discovered in India and then now a Delta X uh, version of that both seem to be pretty prolific, readily uh, transmissible, uh, even more so than the normal. And the earlier variants we saw, in fact, um, now reported in about 90 countries. And it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal spread. But again, most of these infections seem to be in the non-vaccinated or those that only had one dose uh, or early, early after their first or second dose. So um, stay tuned on that from what the research looks like. This new Lambda variant looks even more uh, concerning. Um, I saw data from uh, Israel talking about that while they are heavily vaccinated, um, those that were only had one um, didn't have the same protection, but the two seem to be very efficacious, but you see this drop from getting having symptomatic disease from around uh, a ninety five percent efficacy to around sixty five in Israel. But the point is, very few people that are infected uh, exhibit symptoms. It looks like in the data, or if they do, they're not serious. So, you know, that's again what the vaccine is designed to do is not necessarily reduce the probability of infection, uh, even though data show that it has and can do that. But again, to reduce the probability of symptoms and certainly serious disease or even uh, hospitalization or or fatality so that's what they're designed for um uh, as my understanding is that uh, multiple vaccines do continue to work on in the literature i can see all types of different boosters uh, of different types depending on where it goes and where we need to go to maintain protection Um, i saw this morning that somewhere around worldwide now we've got about 3.3 billion people have been dosed with a vaccine, 3.3 billion humans dosed. Um, Of that, roughly a billion that are fully vaccinated around the world with these vaccines. Um, The United States, we're looking at about 330 plus uh, million Americans have been dosed um, in some way or doses out there rather uh, with 160 million Americans uh, fully vaccinated. Uh, There were some early suggestions that the J&J one dose might not have some of the efficacy against some of these variants, but uh, I was looking at studies yesterday that showed that, in fact, J&J seems to be holding up pretty robustly, Um, even though there's, as we've talked about before, a lot of testing going on about mixing and matching uh, vaccines or adding different boosters, uh, maybe coming in with one of the mRNA vaccines uh, after J&J, but the data right now don't seem to indicate that that's that that's necessarily uh, critical or important uh, or even uh, uh, very useful yet. But again, like everything, it's these viruses affect everybody so differently, and it's amazing. Um, they came out that saying uh, yesterday or this morning that uh, more than ninety nine percent of the people who died from COVID nineteen in the month of June last month now that we're in July um, were. Uh, were not vaccinated, so we're seeing that's what's happening. Um, is that the that the non-vaccinated feel very comfortable because so many Americans, in this case, Americans are vaccinated, uh, but they're not protected in the same way that those that are vaccinated are. Um, and so that's where we're seeing most of the serious disease, and it looks like almost all, if not all, fatalities. Just very one percent of the fatalities are vaccinated. Um, and bear in mind, when you see these vaccinated um, uh, people that come down with serious disease, or even in the rare, rare case of a fatality, as we look through the data, it looks like those are what we expect in this case, very vulnerable people, uh, either because of some disease or immune comprom- compromisation or or uh, age-related Um and so that seems to be part of what's going on there, as one would expect. So again, very, very effective, very efficacious protection from these um, these vaccines. Um, it looks like uh, the, the Delta variant, um, in one study in Israel, that the Pfizer shot seemed to uh, almost um, halt the spread of the new of the new variant, and so it provides the efficaciousness of, against moderate or mild disease when again from 95 roughly percent to r- about 64% um that the actually there seems to reduce or even halt the spread of that variant uh, within those that are vaccinated so makes it tough to get a get a foothold um in that way um so what we'll talk about a little bit now is let's go through uh, there are roughly right now um Looking at new vaccine uh, types coming down, we've talked about each week, um, f- the preclinical is still around now, uh, 80 in preclinical phases, uh, the human clinical phases, phase one, two, or three uh, in phase one, 50 vaccine candidates. We've seen that grow, 37. Uh, so some have moved into phase two clinical trials, and, and we're in, uh, we now have thirty two in phase three, one moved into uh, emergency use authorization. So we now have nine that are authorized uh, for emergency use. Um, And then there are eight additional around the world uh, outside the U.S. in this case that are uh, fully authorized. Again, both Pfizer and Moderna. uh, And my understanding coming up here, J&J, look good for being fully authorized, particularly after we've seen, you know, over a billion humans being vaccinated with these mRNA, uh, with very, 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 very few, any kind of serious blowback from that. Uh, There are the occasional ones, it's just a matter of determining if they are caused by the vaccine, Uh, but they certainly don't seem to rise above the background or the normal uh, percent of humans that would have that particular ailment anyway, vaccine or no vaccine. So, uh, amazing bit of science here. Amazing bit of um, operation, work, speed, making sure that we're able to produce, manufacture, and distribute these vaccines so rapidly. And again, with the United States, with over 320 million Americans and dispersed so widely in so many different urban and rural and suburban areas, uh, it's just an incredible feat that we were able to so rapidly vaccinate so many um, quickly with something so effective. Um, just, just absolutely unprecedented. Uh, for those that follow science pretty closely. Um, You know, we talked a little bit about some of the long haulers and some of that. Now they're seeing more and more about how the structure of blood cells and how this uh, COVID-19 disease coming from the SARS-CoV-2 virus um, affects those cells in in a bad way. We talked about the effects on brain matter and why so many Americans uh, and many, many of us have family and friends that have this still uh, with the loss of smell or changes taste or smell. And again, coming from loss of gray matter, actual brain cells um, and so forth. So serious disease that we wanna take seriously. Uh, we're following very closely, of course, what's going on with uh, the effects and how uh, different areas are changing the rules to reduce the transmission of the virus um, and, and so on. And again, with mass vaccination, we're still seeing hospitalization rates uh, much more tolerable, even when infections seem to to uh, to spike in different areas that have had heavier vaccination. Now, so it seems to be the key um, to everything in this case. Uh, another thing to think about is we've got uh, here, especially here with us in Florida. I've probably ridden out thirty or more hurricanes and seen some pretty serious devastation. Devastation, but we've got another one, Elsa, bearing down on us right now as we speak today on this podcast. So everybody, stay tuned and stay prepared. Um, this comes on top of record number of shark attacks. Again, I grew up, you know, near up. Those of us that surfed and had friends that were bitten by sharks, especially around New Smyrna Beach, and another child was bit yesterday. um And so we've had quite a quite a record number here in Florida of those types of things. But buckling down on this, um, especially too, we've seen what happened with the uh, condominium complex on the beach that that horrific collapse, um, and now they're going out and trying to understand what's going on with. With that, is it, is that unique, or is it something that might be more widespread? Um, moving into uh, what's going on at the LPRC, we're really, really excited as we do the deep planning. Um, we've got Chab Macintosh coming in today in the Gainesville and going to spend uh, a few days with us to go through the logistics, making sure that we iron everything out after. Uh, 16 of these impacts, we've got a pretty good routine down. We make sure we do everything top notch. We're, we're excited to have a full occupancy impact conference that uh, first week in October coming up here at the very beautiful University of Florida campus, uh, hosted in the rights to such a large crowd. Uh, we'd encourage everybody to get in here. Uh, some of the topics, um, Kenna Carlson, are research team leader was sharing with me she's done a really good job the last uh, the two prior impacts on curating and helping present and pull together uh, all the content that we put out there so uh, some of the things we're looking at intelligence-led and problem-oriented loss prevention uh, how we use RFID uh, and other sensors to make sense of what we've got where it is where it's going what's happening to it a big focus on RFID and organized retail crime Uh, we've got uh, top-notch team from Macy's talking about how they uh, couple together different sensors, CCTV and RFID being two, to have a much clearer picture, much better diagnosis, much more precise targeting of what they do and how they do it, how they've discovered items that they thought just went missing that were stolen or those they thought were being stolen were not. There were other issues with, with it. So amazing what can happen there. Um, we're looking a lot at the role uh, of retail and community crime prevention, how uh, to much better and more focused, in a more focused way, engage with law enforcement, but partnerships, partnerships and engagement in different community hotspots to help out that that area of the community, those people in that area um, uh, for the betterment of the area, but for the betterment of the, the overall community and also reducing crime uh, and victimization from certain very select people in the the community that we all know um, that we deal with. So a lot more going on there and talking about the science and working with Target Corporation uh, on how to do this, how to leverage a lot of science, a lot of research on community engagement, on collective efficacy um, and what we're doing there about that. Um, A lot going on right now, of course, with curbside pickup, even though it's so widespread and people have been doing it for six months to a year and six months, some for much longer. um, But so many of our retailer members out of the 68 chains we work with um, would like to get better and better, more efficient, uh, make it a better customer experience. But at the same time, part of that customer or user experience is the safety of the customer from uh, car accidents, from robbery, the same for the employees. Um, and some of the things that have been coming from that. Uh, the value exchange is huge for us, VX. So we'll be talking a lot about value exchange and how um, people give up. We all give up. Again, we've talked about this, our privacy. In other words, our, we will use our face for facial recognition on our phones. We'll be posting and tweeting and uh, everything else out there. Our vehicles have auto tags and RFID uh, transponders to go through toll booths and so on. So all day, every day, we're exchanging uh, something for convenience, entertainment, and safety or security. So we'll be doing a good dive. We're we'll gonna be seeing an example of uh, a new technology that frees up customers-driven selection of products um, by giving up uh, their facial features, um, or they don't have they don't have to opt into that. They can just uh, summon an employee. So um, how does that look in the real world? In addition to sort of the philosophical and uh, community things around that. Um, We've got some absolute experts coming in here on the response to the active shooter, active assailants um, and how to a little, little better on preparation to prevent, preparation to more rapidly and effectively and of course safely respond and recover um, from these horrible events that are all too common. They seem to, to wax and wane to spike and recede and then spike again. Um, so we're gonna have some experts in here around that, Synergy and Science. We're going to talk a lot about collaboration um, and how some retailers are using this evidence-based or science-based tactics to improve what they do, how they do it, the outcomes. Most importantly, that they get out of that, Um, you'd be surprised, maybe or not so much. But uh, some of the retailers that are reaching out, saying, "All right, that's it." You know, instead of just doing stuff, we really want to get more focused uh, on what we do. We don't just want to share ideas with our counterparts or internally in the building. We would like to really Uh, do a little more experimentation and get an idea of what really does work or work best. What's what are the best options there? Um, We're going to be looking also on the active shooter. We're doing more and more with with, uh, risk mapping. And I think any LPRC members know that during our cluster calls throughout the pandemic and going forward, we map all demonstrations, those that turn um, turn risky, those that turn dangerous, and then things about those areas that had multiple overlapping Uh, problems, and so on. So using mapping allows us to get a little bit ahead of the problem and allow the the retailers operating stores or other parts of their ecosystem in those environments uh, to be more informed and have a better heads up. Um, We're going to have some people going in. We've been doing a lot deeper dives on organized retail crime, more dissecting the individuals, the groups, the way they move, shoot and communicate, uh, how they operate. And there's so many great platforms now out there. So we'll see some case studies around uh, understanding, defining for more precise prevention and protection from organized retail criminals and crews and groups. Um, We'll be looking at out of stocks, um, some new research coming out around that uh, with Procter & Gamble. Uh, Nobody should have greater insight and greater opportunity than P&G. And Kenna and the team have been working pretty closely with Kalina. And the PNG team, they've got so many great products that uh, are so readily stolen because of the size, the desirability, the availability to convert them to cash and so on. Uh, so, we're excited about that. <clears throat> so, just a little insight, a little look inside of that. Look for cluster calls and FusionNet that come up when we need it. Um, but uh, more things going on in the lab. So, we invite you between now and the first week in October of the next few months. If you'd like to come into Gainesville, we'd like to host you. Um, We've got a big team coming in from a huge retailer I can't name yet. So um, uh, coming up here pretty shortly, And uh, but a lot going on here uh, at the University of Florida, a lot going on here at the Loss Prevention Research Council. So long drawn out, but I wanted to give everybody a quick briefing here. Let me go over to Tony D'Anofrio. And
2: Tony, if you can fill us in. Thank you very much, Reed. and and to build on all the great work that's going on in Florida, we continue the plan for LPRC Europe. We're still planning a July 21st event in cooperation with uh, TJX Europe. The only thing we're waiting for is for the travel restriction to be lifted, which are scheduled right now for July 19. So if that happens, uh, activity will take place. We also may go to a virtual uh, scenario of the Travel restriction not get lifted, but it's always better in person. We already have multiple major retailers coming into London to join us and uh, and really would be great to actually do a live event and we'll have to see what the UK does. So let, let me actually build on some of the other data that Ray talked about in terms of what's going on with vaccination around the world and actually Statista this past week just published as of July 3rd which countries are leading the vac- full vaccination rates. Number one is Israel, with 60% of the population now vaccinated. Number two is Bahrain, 59%. Mongolia was surprised. They're at 49%. United States was next to 47%. Germany at 38%. Italy at 33%. And France at 31%. So the world is making progress. in getting more of the population vaccinated and that is actually seen as I'll talk about here in a few minutes in terms of what's actually happening to Europe. COVID-19 uh, switching topics has indeed changed how consumers shop and actually perceive stores. And actually, PwC does a monthly review of Global Consumer Insights in their June report. What they said is the they, they re- basically restated the obvious that the pandemic has been the greatest health crisis in modern histories. As consumers have adopted new habits, um, businesses wondered whether any of these would stick. And the June report confirmed that the changes are sticking, signifying an historic and dramatic shift in consumer behavior. Consumers are now more digital, more health conscious, more eco-friendly, more price sensitive, and are shopping more local. 56% of consumers are more price oriented, 54% are focused on saving, 51% are more digital, 50% are more eco-friendly, 49% are more healthy, and 46% are more data conscious. And also interesting, 43% want to shop more local. The really interesting data for me is how do people feel about the U.S economy, 36% of the consumer, and this is actually a global survey, so not just U.S., but in general, worldwide, in the countries they surveyed, 36% are more optimistic about the economy, 31% see no change, and a surprising 29% uh, are less optimistic, and that tells you that some parts of the world still have some catching up to do. We are shopping a lot more in physical stores, the percentage went up from 41% in March to 47% in June. Uh, Online was also increasing from 23% in June to from 19% in March. Fast and reliable uh, delivery, plus making sure that the product is actually in inventory going to what Reid was talking about. Out of stocks, those remain the top consumer priorities. Most shoppers put health and safety concerns now ahead of environmental concerns. The top three reasons that are driving brand loyalty in June were reliability as defined by the brand always delivering what they promise, products that are readily available, and exceptional customer service and loyalty programs. And the top three categories where global customers are planning to spend more in the next six months are grocery 37%. Takeaway food, 32 percent, and home entertainment, 30 percent. And let me close by talking about what it's like to travel internationally during COVID. I actually happen to be recording today from sunny Italy, from my hometown just south of Rome, and I had traveled here from Spain, where I spent the entire last week. So let me take take you through in terms of how I got here and what does it look like. So, U.S. Italy. Uh, Spain are considered amber countries, which means when you travel there, you must follow a set of rules or restrictions. Uh, One of the things that I learned quickly uh, from friends that have traveled internationally already, you need to do your homework. There are requirements to enter in each country. And Delta actually is a pretty good way to let you know what they are by country. For Spain, for example, I had to fill out an online form that stated exactly where I was going to be in the country. That form generate a QR code, which I needed to show at the port of entry, which in my case was Madrid. It's the first thing that they scan. And then interestingly enough, they spend two to three minutes scanning your CDC vaccination card uh, to make sure it's authentic, which I'm not sure how they actually tell. And then they get to your passport. So it gives you an idea in terms of how much they look for those documents that trace you. And also, they show that you've been vaccinated. Also, interesting that not all countries use the same form. Surprising to me, Italy is part of the European Union, yet they require a different form. And again, the the website from the airline was very helpful. Uh, One of the surprises, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised masks everywhere. So, by the time I boarded my plane in Greenville, South Carolina, to the time I exited Madrid, which was roughly 20 hours, I never really took off the mask other than to eat briefly. And then if you keep it off too long, they remind you to put the mask back on and that includes sleeping, that includes everything you can imagine. And on this side of the pond, because of the vaccination are not as high as, as uh, for example, other parts of the world that we just talked about, that, that mask wearing actually expands to everything from offices to public transportation, to hotels, to taxis. So you're wearing your mask a lot. So that was not one of the fun part um, of the international travel. Now, this is uh, the beginning of July. Uh, The rules will change, as I said, July 19, the UK will restate their rules. So it's very important if you're gonna travel anywhere that you check what the rules are. The most strict country to get into Europe is the UK. And unfortunately, that's where we're launching LPRC Europe. The current restrictions are for five to 10-day quarantines as you enter the country. And again, we're monitoring that because that would not work in terms of uh, getting there. So my big surprise was entering Italy this morning. Really no checks, no vaccine cards, reviews, no temperature. You just walk right through as if Everything was back to normal. The only difference, you're wearing a mask. So I guess, and Italy actually has, they go by colors here, they're white. So the whole country has gone to white, which means that outside you no longer need to wear masks and only indoors you will you be required to wear masks. So interesting traveling for the first time internationally. In short, what I would say, do your homework, check with the airline, their website will give you Uh, To return to the United States is not as simple as getting back on the plane. You need a negative COVID test, uh, 48 to 72 hours, depending on the country, which I'm in the process of scheduling because I'll be returning actually at the end of this week. So not a fun process to travel internationally, but for me, my family's here and I have not been here in a year and a half. Good to get through it, but we still have a lot of work to do to make it easier. So with that, let me turn it over to Tom. Thanks,
3: Tony. Uh, thank you, Reed. So just a, a, a kind of a repetitive theme is ransomware. So this weekend, uh, over the 4th of July weekend, because we tape on Tuesdays and it's the 6th, there was a massive ransomware attack that uh, the, the information is still be coming out. Uh, this is tied to, uh, believed to be tied to, because they claimed it a Russian group connected with the Revel group, which was a group that's probably best known for the JBS meat attack. Um, the White House is, is taking kind of a, a different approach here and being very active and vocal about this. The Russian government at this point has claimed that uh, there is no affiliation, uh, which could be true, but it's highly unlikely with this level of sophistication that the government isn't at least aware of it going on. But what's interesting about this attack is that the group is, uh, asking for a $70 million ransomware, which is the largest ransomware, you know, kind of ransom that they've ever asked for at $70 million. And it's to basically make the unlock keys public versus going to each individual computer. They're claiming that it's affected about a million uh, computers throughout, uh, individual computers throughout the U.S. and North America um, they're not really being super specific here and because it's just, just happened over the weekend, more information will come through. So a million devices, while that do- is a lot of devices, just to put some context to it, there's, um, I don't know, 128 million households, uh, as of 2020 in the United States and 75% of them have a personal computer in them. So just think of that, that doesn't include the businesses, so when you think of the sheer magnitude of the number of computers that are out there, um, you're you know far past the hundred million mark, and um, that's you know that's just in the in the in the consumer space. So while this number is daunting, it, it it's important to note that it's a very small percentage overall. the The unfortunate part here is that ransomware from an attack is not a small percentage, and it is the predominant choice. Uh, uh, of attack, business uh, compromise email would be the second through phishing. But uh, this this kind of just continues to play on what we talk about is the the modern uh, attacked vector has changed, where more damage can be done through ransomware than some traditional methodologies. And yes, there are some things that we all can do, like online backups. Uh, at home and at work that are uh, offline backups. So I apologize, not online. Offline backups so that when you back it up into that old hard drive, and I think if you go back years ago, we were all saying up into the cloud. Now we're saying, you know, back this up on a device that you can unplug. That way your, your backup doesn't become contaminated. Uh, restricting per- permissions in a business environment is another one limiting the amount of things people can do. And then one of the biggest ones is keeping software up to date. And then don't click, you know, unknown links is the other one when we we talk about when we're clicking, ensure that we know who it's from. Don't download anything. Don't, you know, this is kind of the typical kind of uh, repetitive conversations, but it's important to note that if we go over the last three months and you look at the level of attacks that you've seen from the Colonial Pipeline to JBS, to this, they're progressive and that's concerning. Um, and I'm not gonna get into too much detail, but there was a really interesting article that was written um, and it got a lot of uh, you know attention because the title of it was the next pandemic will be digital and it's already happening. What you need to know about the growing set of ransomware. And there was a lot of pushback because COVID-19 being a pandemic, but what the writer really highlights is the sheer magnitude of ransomware and the long-term impacts. Uh, it will have on the economy and some of the dangers that occur with it. Um, while I'm not sure, I, I'm sure that the I'm not sure I would have used the same wording for a title because of COVID. But I, what I would say is that the the article and the 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 substance of it is spot on in the sense that we have a a, a really significant danger to all of us here, both commercially and personally, of the cyber incidents that are occurring. Switching gears uh, to another topic, and I'm only going to touch on a high, high level just because I thought it was interesting, but um, it didn't really make as much news as I thought it would. But in Massachusetts, police arrested a group of heavily armed men um, during a traffic stop. Uh, They were a militant group over over just before the Fourth of July weekend. And there was a standoff on I-95. And for anybody that's ever driven anywhere on the East Coast, you would know what I-95 is. And this group was an anti-law, um, not anti-law enforcement, anti-law and kind of uh, offshoot group. But it, it, what really hit highlighted is two things is one, the news really didn't totally uh, talk about it as much as you thought they would. And then the suspects were scattered from all over um, New York and, and uh, New York. Really, there, there was one outside New York and they were traveling to Rhode Island to train. Um, And the interesting part about where they were from in New York is that they were from uh, different parts of the Bronx and Long Island. Uh, There was someone from Rhode Island. And really, um, again, this is a kind of reminds us of the potential for civil unrest at any time. In addition to the FBI's warning of domestic terror, these are domestic terrorists in some in some fashion, while they weren't actually um, doing anything but driving on the highway, happened to get caught in a traffic stop. They were heavily armed. Um, they did not exchange uh, you know, any type of violence with the police. They were talking to them about it. But this is a story that um, we'll continue to monitor, but interestingly enough, really did not get a lot of press. Um, and it wasn't kind of the typical, the Boston Globe, and ABC picked it up, but it wasn't hugely pushed out. Yet, uh, you know, it not. it. <laughs> It closed down an interstate for several hours, uh, uh, you know, on a, one of the busiest travel weeks of the year via via car. So I thought that was really interesting, you know, thinking of something occurring on July 2nd or July 3rd um, and closing down on a highway with militants. Uh, you would think there'd be more about it, but we'll keep an eye on that and let everybody know. All right.
1: Back over to you, Reed. All right. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you, Tony. Is always great information the the cyber threats incredible uh i think it is good news as you said that uh, the fbi has been um ramping up over the last few years uh and now starting to try out some new tools here recently to to uh help out those that are being hacked set up traps um for the hackers and, and even go after the goods follow the money take away the rewards right we call it benefit denial so thanks everybody for that um Again, I want to encourage everybody to visit uh, lpresearch.org, check us out, uh, set a, a trip here into Gainesville or set it up, and we'll do a virtual tour. We've got all, we use Matterport like they do in real estate. Um, all of our labs are set up. It's super cool. We refresh those as we add more technologies. We've got roughly 140 technologies alone just in an in, in engagement lab, we call it, with more on the way as the pandemic slowly lifts. And and the technology guys can get in here and install their best and brightest uh, technologies and link them together with others. So uh, I want everybody to ask you to stay safe out there, stay in touch. Um, And from Gainesville signing off. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the crime science podcast presented by the loss prevention research council and sponsored by Bosch security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.